Welcome to Unexpecting, a podcast brought to you by Hannah, the leading fertility support organization for Jewish people in the UK. I'm Dr. Romy Shulman, the clinical lead at Hannah. And I'm Shimon Schwab, a psychotherapist at Hannah. Over the course of this podcast, we'll be talking to experts, couples, and religious leaders about the multi-layered challenges people face on their fertility journey. We offer practical, emotional, and financial support to those couples on the sometimes complex paths towards parenthood. Head over to hana.org.uk for more information. In this first episode, we speak to Mark and Dan. Mark came to Hannah for support with his wife after he was diagnosed with male factor infertility, and we talk about their experiences on their journey towards parenthood. Dan approached Hannah in order to effect change after he and his wife suffered a miscarriage. He took to social media to tell his story and was overwhelmed by the support he received. He was shocked by how little people spoke about miscarriage and is on a mission to get more people talking so no one should feel alone. Both Mark and Dan have been incredibly open about their journeys and are passionate about men being more visible in the fertility conversation. We hope you find this a worthwhile listen. Welcome and thank you to Mark for joining us. I've given a kind of very brief two-second version of your story, but do you want to say anything more about what happened to you guys? So, first of all, thanks for inviting me to be here. Always a pleasure and nice to see you again. As you say, I'm very open about the infertility that I was told I had from the very beginning. It's a shock when you're told as a man that you're infertile. Lots of different things go through your head, your emotions go up and down, and it's not an easy thing to deal with. However, I had an ulterior motive. My wife is older than me. Um, I think with fertility issues, the onus is seems to be always on the woman, that the problem is with the woman. I felt that this was unfair. You know, my wife was going through or was about to go through a big journey with fertility treatment. And for those of you that don't know or beginning your journey with fertility treatment, there's a lot involved. There's a lot of hospital trips. There's lots of needles involved. No one tells you that. And if you don't like needles, <laughs> you're going to get to like them. They're going to become your best friend. I felt that with everything that was about to happen and all the pressure that was put on her, that one less pressure was everyone looking at her that the problem was her. And I was very open from the beginning that the fertility problems was with me. And at the end of the day, as I say in the book, unexpecting, I'm still a man. You know, I'm no less a man. And if that's you, as in a general to the guys out there who could possibly be listening to this or watching this, don't be ashamed. It's, it's nothing to be ashamed about. You are still a man. And please, God, you know, with the support of Hannah and family and friends, you will get through this. You know, we were very lucky. We had treatment. We had couple of IUIs and then we had IVF and we were very blessed to have our son. What, what surprises me is that over the years, even close friends that know what we've been through forget. And we've had numerous comments over the years, how much Jamie looks like me and, you know, and at the back of my head, I'm sitting there thinking, yep, you've forgotten we had the treatment and that, 
you know, he, he's not really my part of my DNA, but at the end of the day, I'm his father. I've brought him up. I've nurtured him. I've cared for him. I even changed his horrible nappies as a baby. You know, this is this is what being a dad is. That That's what it's all about. And as I say, you know, Hannah are amazing. The, the people that work for Hannah, wow. I mean, what you guys and girls do is phenomenal. To be there, to listen to us, shoulder to cry on, an outlet for frustration. It, it's, it's amazing. And I think without Hannah, we would have struggled. I don't think it would have, I don't think easy is the right word, but I think our journey would have been, there would have been a lot more speed bumps on the road, which with Hannah there, they're the steamroller flattening out those speed bumps and making it easier for us. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my story. That's, Obviously, there's more ins and outs to that, and it's not as smooth as that. But in in a nutshell, that that's that's my journey, that's my story. Well, thank you for that, Mark. It's it's a it's a really personal thing that you're sharing. All the more so that it's it's not something that's commonly talked about, male infertility, um, and it's not something that many people think of when they hear the word infertility. It must have been a shock to you at the time to be told that the issue was to do with you rather than your wife. Yeah, very very much so. And and the circumstances that I, it came about of me finding out wasn't the best either. I was sat in my office when I got a call to tell me, you know, so there, there, was, a, there was a big shock factor there. And I'm not saying that I took the news and that was it. I was, you know, fine about it. It, it, it was a lot to take in. You know, I think my first instinct, I think I burst into tears in the office and my manager took me aside, um, obviously knowing what I had been through up until that point, And she was very supportive at the time. But it hasn't taken anything away from me. If you were to meet me, you wouldn't know. I am a very manly man, been described as, you know. I like all things that guys like. don't like whiskey, but hey, you know... Eh. We're all a bit weird. I've just learned to deal with it. And, and as I said previously, I, I had to get over it and deal with it because I didn't want that pressure on my wife. So for me, I'm, I don't worry about things that I can't change. So I've been given the news, you're infertile. Unfortunately, you weren't born with a chromosome that produces the sperm. Okay, what... what I can't worry about that now. I've got other things to worry about. I've got to worry about how we're going to move ahead, how we are going to be able to have a child, how we are going to fulfill that in our life, you know, that, that, that thing that's missing. So I couldn't dwell on it. I do feel that the way I am and the strength I have to be able to do that helps. And everybody is different. You know, as a guy, you may not be strong enough to do that internally, but externally, you may be putting on that bravado and not dealing with it because you you don't want people to know. But I, I don't think there's anything wrong in talking about it. And, you know, 11 years ago, I think it was a lot harder to talk about than it is now. I think times have progressed and people are more open to the fact that fertility and fertility issues, problems aren't just with women. It, it does affect men as well. 
And I think the more men that can talk about it and that can be open about it and discuss it, the better it will become. And as I say, with the likes of Hannah, they're there to hold your hand. You know, if you don't want to tell your friends, speak to Hannah. If you can't tell your parents, speak to Hannah. You know, that's what they're there for. So whilst it was a shock, yes, I dealt with it. I got past that. And as I say, you've, you've got to stay positive. You've got to keep moving forward because if you don't and you dwell on it and it, it will just drag you down and that's no help to yourself or to your partner or to your friends and family around you to get through what is a difficult period. You, you've just got to keep going. On the subject of reaching out and getting support, actually, I think I really want to bring in our second guest now, who is someone who has approached Hana in order to effect change, because when he and his wife suffered a miscarriage, he took to social media and was overwhelmed by the support that he was given in that kind of forum, and so many people sharing their stories with him as well. Um, we're really, really glad to have him on board. The way you're encouraging and supporting conversations within the community is really special. Um, so thank you, Dan, for joining us as well. Do you want to share anything of your story here? Sure. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. I suppose, first of all, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome here because our story is very different from Mark's. But it's, I think it's just another chapter or a different chapter. I don't know. You know, my wife and I got married five, six years ago. And as many young marrieds do, we had a bit of a plan. You know, we were going to wait a few years. We were going to buy a house and we were going to change jobs. And then we were going to have a baby. And, you know, first of all, none of those things go as you think they will. You know, it took ages to sell flats and buy houses and whatever. But when it came to trying for a baby, we were very surprised that my wife fell pregnant pretty much straight away. And that was really exciting. And we went through the things that um, expected parents go through. I think the uniqueness to our story was that it was as lockdown happened, that's what happened. You know, we, Alec, my wife was pregnant. So that was unique. I don't think, you know, obviously by default, other people hadn't been through that yet. And so it meant we were, you know, we were living in our flat at the time. It was quite an intense environment because, you know, if anyone watching remembers the beginning of lockdown, that was when, you know, we were rationed leaving the house. So we were in this very intense setup. Um, we just found out we were pregnant. There's a lot of change. It was it was a scary time for everyone. Um, and unfortunately, after I think it was um, about 10 weeks, we found out that my wife had had a miscarriage. And a few things that I think are important to talk about. One was that because it was locked down, um, I couldn't go inside with my wife. I had, she'd had a couple of warning signals and we'd, we'd been told to go to uh, the early pregnancy unit. And I had to wait outside. And I remember on the way to the hospital, just being so, I, I look back on it now and I was just so naive. All I could think about was the fact that we were actually, this wasn't going to be a problem. This was exciting. We were going to get the opportunity to see a scan of our baby earlier than you would normally do, um, you know, two weeks earlier. And I remember saying to Alex, you know, can we go straight to my grandma and take the picture to her? Because she at the time didn't know uh, we were pregnant yet because we weren't telling anyone until, you know, as, as most people do until the 12 week thing. Then I was outside on my own for the best part of an hour, didn't know what was going on. It's something I've been for a few times now, unfortunately, 
um, and it's awful. And Alex had to come outside and tell me that our baby, you know, there wasn't a baby or there was a baby, but it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to survive. Um, and a few days later, she had a miscarriage. I mean, we went through a lot of stuff. We were, we were embarrassed. We were ashamed. We didn't know who to talk to. I mean, I mentioned just now that my grandma didn't know. Calling my grandma to tell her that we'd had a miscarriage when she didn't know that we were pregnant. I mean, I'm very, very close to my grandma and that that was awful. We had told our parents. So like, at least when I called my mum to tell her, you know, she had a reference point. But again, like calling your mum to tell her something like that when, you know, and again, again I mean, I, it must be awful for everyone, but... My parents, I mean, I live in London, in Boring Words, and my parents live in Brighton. And um, so especially because of lockdown, there was that, like, I couldn't even go see her. It, it, everything was, everything felt a little bit more intensified than perhaps it would do normally. You know, the dust starts, the dust starts to settle a little bit. And things like work. And my wife was like adamant she wasn't taking time off. Now, bear in mind that we were in lockdown, so she was working at home. It was easier for her to manage, but... I just she was so embarrassed to tell her colleagues what was going on and I and I I wasn't I told my I told my boss I told my team straight away what was going on because for me they needed to they did, they obviously didn't know that we were expecting um but they needed to know that I wasn't going to be myself um, I'm I'm the CEO of a, of another charity and you know my team rely on me they needed to know that they couldn't necessarily rely on me for those few days um, and I watched Alex um, just because we were working at home so I could really watch her um, almost be embarrassed and ashamed and she couldn't tell her colleagues and I just just felt that was so wrong and I just had you know there was just almost this anger and I did I just I didn't know what to do with it and I remember we sat down for Friday night dinner and I just kind of had enough and I said to Alex I'm going to do something and I know you're going to hate it. I know you're going to hate it, but I want to write something on Facebook. Now I'm someone that uses social media a lot. So that wasn't so unusual, but I'm not someone that writes things, you know, going to restaurants and concerts and holidays, you know, do a nice picture, but I'm not someone that sit, I'm not, you know, I've I've always admired people that can really articulate how they think and feel and write, write things. Um, And it's just just not my skill set. But I sat and I just wrote, and it, you know, it's one—it's a bit of a cliche, but these words just kind of poured out of me. Um, and I showed it to Alex, and I said, you know, so before I posted it, I was like, Alex, I need you to read this. What do you think? And she recognised that whilst she knew that—I mean, it sounds a bit dramatic—but she knew that, but by me posting it was going to, to a certain extent, change our lives forever. And that's a bit strong, but it was in terms of that it was going to put this thing that was incredibly painful, it was going to make it very public. Um, she understood that that was something I needed at that point. Um, and it, you know, sort of, you know, you press the button and there's like this, sort of, like, you know, just kind of wait and nothing happened because, of course, nothing happened. But then within seconds, it was like flooding, just flooding of notifications and messages and comments. And it, and the, one of the one of the things about it was that it was it was so much it made it so much easier to tell other people. I, I had told my best best friends at this point, but like not certainly not all of them, because it was such a, it felt like such a burden to each time like have to like 
contact a friend and be like, right, you didn't know I was pregnant, but this happened. It was so like, it felt, just felt heavy, heavy. And by putting it on Facebook, it was like when my friends started contacting me, I knew that they knew and that I didn't have to retell that story. I actually was quite happy to tell the story because it, it, I didn't, like they knew and now we could just talk about it. And and actually some people I wanted to go through it with and some people I wanted to just talk about football or life or, you know, any anything else but that. Um, and yeah, and I went to bed that night and woke up the next day and just my both my emails and my Facebook were just full of people sharing me their stories and something occurred to me and that was that you know some of the people that were sharing these stories I got I mean I won't for obvious reasons won't say who it was but there was someone that sent me their story at like one in the morning and they'd emailed it to me and it was so long and it was so detailed and there was this common theme that kept coming up um, I wish I'd had the confidence to do what you did, i.e. sharing your story like that in such a public manner, which, cool, like, that's, that's, that, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but, like, that was nice. It was comforting to me. But what was much more pertinent was that uh, there was this universal theme of I couldn't talk to anyone about this. I didn't have anyone to talk to about this. And yet, when you do the research... One in four people, and, and I think it's actually kind of one in three people or, or couples or women or whatever are going through this. So it, it just, it seemed crazy to me. Like people that, like all these people that were coming out of the woodwork that I knew so well, that had been through this and yet had never discussed it with me. Like, you know, and I, and I almost, you know, there was a bit of anger there. Like if this is so normal, why as a society are we not, you know, we you know, school or education, I, I don't know. Like, I just, I, I was, like, angry at the world that, like, we'd been allowed to be, like, almost start this pregnancy journey or the conception journey and not been prepped better and also just frustrated that as a society there is still, and of course there is still, there's so much stigma around this. Why should my wife be embarrassed to tell her work colleagues that she's had a miscarriage? Like, that, that to me is still something that I'm, you know, it was like still kind of seething about it. And it took her so long. I mean, there's some of her work colleagues that she still never told about this, which, you know, that's her. We're, we're very different people. And I'm, I'm very, very lucky that I have a wife that understood this as something that I needed and it was important to me. And she's not the same as me. Uh, thank you for that. Um, that's really, really powerful. Um, both of you guys reached out to people in different ways, obviously, because, Mark, you were talking to people rather than going online. Um, which is maybe a sign of the times. But you both you both knew that what you needed was other people to know this. And, you know, you acted accordingly. And it's really difficult for guys sometimes, particularly when it comes to facility, to actually talk to someone, write to someone, make contact with someone and get support that way. Yeah, I mean, I think listening to Dan's story, yes, it is very different from what I went through. But there is that sense that you do need to tell your story, as Dan did. You know, my, for me, it was 11 years ago. So I think social media definitely wasn't as big as it is now. And I wouldn't have thought to use it as an outlet to express what had happened. But for me, as you, as you say, Shimon, I, I was talking to people. And I think a word that Dan didn't use is, is the word relief. 
there's that relief that it gets off your chest. It's a relief to get rid of that anger. It's a relief to know that other people don't look at you differently because of what's happened to you. And I would imagine for Dan, it, it, it was a big relief being able to put it in writing. And then when he was getting all those notifications and emails, that the relief would have been there that, you know what? Yes, it's happened to other people and other people understand what we're going through. And I don't have to hide what's happened to both myself and my wife, because I would imagine in, this, in, in, in miscarriage, whilst yes, the woman is carrying the baby and it's a loss from within, it's the couple that are dealing with it. You know, I, I take my hat off to Dan for being able to put it in writing and express himself like that and, and to be able to put it out to the world. And I can understand his anger and frustration that, you know, especially when he, he began to read these stories and people were telling him that it's happened to them and they couldn't turn to anyone either. So I would imagine that that network grew and grew as his story was told and he was told of stories. And in some respect, that becomes your own network of help and being able to talk to other people. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I would imagine it is a, is a relief. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something I didn't quite say, but was trying to get to, but was um, when I was reading other people's stories, I realized that this is, as much as they're doing this for me, um, it's more about them. Like the one I mentioned, the one in the, the email at one in the morning, this particular person had clearly, clearly never unloaded the grief that he, now he's got boys that are like in school, are like teenagers now. And he clearly never fully dealt with this and let go of it. And that was quite heartbreaking. And that's what brought me to Hannah because I just felt, you know, whilst Hannah's doing amazing, amazing work, um, and they really are, but there's there's more, there's more we can do. And miscarriage does affect, as I say, wonderful people. And it's, and listen, my wife's pregnant now. She's due uh, in seven weeks. That's really exciting. Um, but she didn't get pregnant straight away. And it, there were a few complications. And there's been a lot of complications on this pregnancy. I mentioned I've been in um, Barnet Car Park on my own in that car. I, I, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. It's it, to, to not be able to physically be there for your partner. And aside from that, not know what's going on. Um, I mean, I mentioned that the first time it happened, I was this kind of naive uh, fool that just was ready to see the scan photo. The second time, oh my gosh, I was a, I mean, as sure as anyone can imagine, I, I was a wreck, an absolute wreck. Um, and the other thing was that I, I didn't want to tell when we had the second scare with the second pregnancy, I didn't want to tell any of the family because I didn't want to put them through it again. Um, and so I just was kind of on my own. The other thing I want to say about in terms of sort of being a man and miscarriage, the obvious reality of the situation is it's not like Alex physically passed that baby. It was only 10 weeks old. It wasn't very big, but she, um, we were, I mean, it was awful because we went and they said, you're going to have a miscarriage. And she it basically happened in the middle of Tesco's of all places. And I had to like, I was like, let she didn't need an ambulance or anything but I was like I'll go get in the car and she's like no you can't leave me and so I had to like walk her but we'd gone for a walk because that again if you remember COVID like it was so limited of what you could do and I had to like walk my wife who is having a miscarriage home and I remember feeling envious at least 
physically she's going through this and I'm not. But yet our pain is the same. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not going to be exactly the same, but we're both going through this. And I think that's really difficult for, you know, not just me, I think for a lot of men, because the pain is there for both of you. And yet, you know, and I mean, it's the same at this end of the scale with sort of seven weeks to go. I am aware that I can't bond with the baby in the same way that she can, because it's not in my body, you know, to, to her, that baby is is living and breathing. And it was also interesting in terms of the miscarriage, because she, and it is something we, I won't say we butt heads on, but perhaps disagree a little bit on to her. That was a real life living, breathing baby, um, even though it was only 10 weeks old. And I remember in the weeks building up to it, she would say to me, do you love the baby yet, Dan? And I was like, you know, like to me, the baby is a bit more like it's not it's not real yet. And um, but to her, it's in her. She can feel it growing. And the other thing in terms of being a man, like I remember I remember like I wasn't ready and I don't think anyone's ready, but I know that I wasn't ready. And I mentioned earlier about that. I'd sort of had this very, very set plan. Alex is a bit younger than me. um, And and I thought, okay, marrying someone a bit younger, I'm going to have a bit of time here before she wants kids. And she was ready for kids straight away. So I was so, so wrong there. Um, and I did, you know, we did have to sort of take our time a bit. And I said, no, I want to do this. and want to do that before we have kids. Um, and I also mentioned earlier, but we fell pregnant straight away. And that was a bit of a panic station to me. And the guilt that I don't know if anyone else would feel, but I know that I certainly felt like, you know, we had the miscarriage and it's my fault because I didn't feel ready. And I did read, I found something online uh, where someone else had felt similar. So that was very, very reassuring. Um, But it's an awful, like it's, I, I, I can't quite make sense of that. Obviously I know that it wasn't my fault that Alex had a miscarriage, but you can't help but carry that guilt of knowing I wasn't really ready um, and yet she had a miscarriage. And is that my fault? It's really complex sometimes. You know, the mix of feelings that go through people. Um, and as you say, for men, it, it is different because the physical reality of the pregnancy or the treatment isn't there, and yet the feelings are. Um, and Mark, you mentioned as well that while you're carrying the feelings, you also need to support your wife as well. Yeah, 100%. And for me, it's, you know, the, the lead up to being told I was infertile was, was difficult. I went through quite an uncomfortable procedure to find out the end result. And then once you find out that end result, it's like, right, the onus moves across to the woman and you're sort of dropped like a stone, so to speak. You know, right, we found out the problem's you. Brilliant. You're no good to us anymore. We move across to the woman. And you're sort of just left behind. And yet you, you, you can't feel sorry for yourself and you have to move on because I have to be there to support my wife, to to hold her hand through the journey that she's about to start with the fertility treatment, you know? And again, very much like Dan, there is that guilt that this, this is my fault because I can't, you know, help you have a baby. So now you have to go through taking all these drugs that mess with your hormones. You know, they took my wife's hormones from here 
and dropped them to zero, then pumped her full of drugs to bring all the hormones up so that they can keep an eye on her and understand how her body's working and know when the right time is to do the IVF. Then she's got to inject herself with, you know, drugs. And I'm feeling that guilt that this is my fault that you're having to do this because of something that was sort of out of my hand, so to speak. Now, I, I didn't know I was born without that chromosome. Wouldn't have known. And there is a big guilt thing there, but you can't, I couldn't dwell on it. I didn't have time to dwell on it because our journey started so soon after we'd found out because, you know, for us, not like Dan's case, we were older. We, you know, we'd done things in life. Both myself and my wife have traveled. We've been different countries you know we we had lived our life so to speak so as soon as we got married we knew we wanted to have a family pretty much straight away for me being able to talk to people it helped it helped you know I told my best mate and then when he got married and he was trying for a baby it didn't work they had to have um, IVF as well uh, because he had a very low sperm count so again male infertility a guy I knew through work who I got on very well with. I'm an estate agent. He worked at another agency. You know, I was very open about it. So when he was trying for a baby, again, he found out that he had a very low sperm count. And because I'd been open with him, he could come and talk to me. And he would say to me, the relief of being able to speak to someone that understands what we're going through is amazing. Um, Because he didn't really have anyone to turn to. So I think for guys, it's really important to be able to express ourselves and not hold it in. You know, I think a lot of people feel that they have to because it's the manly thing to do. But times are changing and we have to get this message across. It's, it's a really important message. Whatever it may be, as guys, we can stick together and discuss this and, and not feel ashamed. And, you know... Dan, your efforts are are bearing fruit um, in that we're opening a section on our website now in the process of doing that, for pe- a place for people to share their stories. Um, you know, your experience is a really powerful one. Um, people have really responded to it, and it's something that's, you know, it's, it's an avenue of support that is perhaps available now in a way that it didn't used to be, and we're trying to make that happen as well. So I'm just going to interject. First thing I want to, and I'm being a bit mean or a bit facetious, my story wasn't a powerful story. That's the whole, that is the whole point. It is what happened. I mean, okay, there's a COVID element, but it's happening to one in four people. Um, what's What maybe is powerful about it is having the guts to go, I'm going to put this out there and try and help other people. Um, and so that has been powerful. But I really want to be clear, like our story is, and I, I've said this so many times, mine and Alex's story is not tragic. It's very, very normal. Um, what's tragic is that people don't talk about this. And that's what I want to change. And the, if nothing, look, we're really excited about this new section of the website, because as I say, oh, I said earlier, there's so many people that I know will benefit from it. But if nothing else, I've, I think I've had at least half a dozen people come to me privately 
since we since I shared that post who have gone through a miscarriage and they wouldn't have no, known to speak to me and now they do. Um, what I want is something more than that because I can't take on the Jewish community's miscarriage support um, but we can create something where there's a resource where anyone that goes through this whether they want to read someone else's story just to know that they're not alone like as I said earlier for me just reading that another man had felt the way I did about not quite being ready that was so comforting at the time so we want to do something that allows both both men and women to read how other people felt um but also to give you know I go back to the person that emailed me at one in the morning I want him I mean, he doesn't have to but I want him to feel like if he still wants to put this somewhere like here's a space where you can put this to put out there because counseling is great and I'm yeah I mean this is like an amazing this is like a little mini therapy session for me but not everybody is always ready to do that but if, if there's this place where they can either just read other people's experiences know that they're not alone and hopefully you know even if they want to do it anonymously just have somewhere where they can just put it out put put your words down put your feelings out there um, and hopefully it will give comfort to lots of people it's so important it really is both of you have been really open about the need for support and how valuable it's been for both of you. What, what would you want people to do or what would you want people to know if they were going through a situation similar to yours? For me, I'd, I'd just like to pe- people to know that there are people such as yourself, Hannah, there for support. People like me, people like Dan, who are willing to receive an email, receive a text message, um, a message through Facebook, whatever it is, just to know that there are other people out there that have been through what you are going through and there will be people in the future that are going to go through what you're going through. And I, I, I think if people know that and know that the support is there and they know how to get hold of that support, I think that's a big thing, knowing to, how to get the support and, and where to go for it. That, that that's the biggest hurdle. Once you've got over that hurdle and you can get hold of Hannah, you know, and they can put the people in touch with people like myself or your own counsellors, that's where the journey will start to, for the healing and, and getting over that initial shock of whether it be infertility, miscarriage, or any other issues, problems within, you know, that fertility journey. Yes, I guess I would, I mean, I agree with so much of what Mark said. I guess what I'll add is that um, sometimes you you have some weird thoughts and they can be good thoughts, they can be bad thoughts, they can be dark thoughts. And when you have those moments, um, you you kind of think that you're alone or that you're unique. And, you know, whilst I like to believe that we're all special, like we're also not special, like everyone or someone else has been through it. And whatever, whether you need to do it anonymously, you know, go to Hannah, there's counselling available, um, speak to friends. Like one of the most, like the weirdest thing, not weirdest, but like when I put the post out there, one of my best, closest, closest friends contacted me and just, and he's someone I speak to nearly every single week on the phone. And he hadn't told me that he was going through IVF. And it was just like, why did it take me to do this silly Facebook post for us to start talking about the fact that we're both going through this kind of stuff? And 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 they're still going through their journey and that's difficult, but we talk about it regularly now. We talked at one point about that 
sex isn't fun. Like, it's not fun. And I, I don't know if I'm going a bit too uh, risque for a family-friendly um, broadcast, but, you know, sex, when you're trying for a baby, is is not fun. It can be quite mechanical. It can be can be stressful at times and I, I mean we had we moved house during all of this as well which is just covid and moving house and it was a bit crazy at times and i remember one evening my wife and i just having a huge blazing row and i sort of was like right lights off and go to bed and she's like what do you mean I'm like we're not now and she's like no yeah i'm ovulating you know get on with it son and like but then being able to talk to my friend about that not necessarily in that much detail, but to, you know, we suddenly were able to talk about this sort of thing. And as I say, going back to what I, you know, other people are going through the same stuff. Even if sometimes you think your thoughts are so dark, no one possibly can. I promise you someone else has thought the same. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Tan. And, and you're right. I mean, there's so many people, there's, there's one in four pregnancies, unfortunately, you don't come to a full-term live baby. Um, and... When it comes to male infertility, you know, actually around half of all couples struggling with fertility have, you know, there is a male factor issue involved as well. So it's really, really common, and yet people find it really, really difficult to talk about, um, which is why you guys sharing today is so important. Um, and we really appreciate that. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us. At Hannah, we really understand how much people can gain from sharing their experiences. And we're delighted to be launching a section on our website for people to be able to do exactly that, to upload their own story in a safe and moderated way, anonymously, if you would like, um, to share your story, how you've coped and the things you've learned. We really look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening to Unexpecting, brought to you by Hannah. If you are struggling on your fertility journey, head over to hana.org.uk and get in touch with one of our experts or call the helpline on 0208 201 5774. With Hana, you are not alone. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate, review and share on social media. We really hope you'll join us again soon.